Welcome back to Second Look. In this episode, our World Missions Pastor Dan Burns sits down for a conversation with Thomas and Jennifer McIntyre, church planners in Taiwan. After 13 years, the McIntyres are passing off leadership of their first church plant to an indigenous Taiwanese pastor and preparing to move to a less reached part of Taiwan to bring the gospel to those that live there. Be sure to check out the show notes where you'll find a link to Jennifer's book as well as the McIntyre's missionary profile on our 2PC website. My name is Dan Burns. I'm here with Thomas and Jennifer McIntyre, who are serving in Taiwan. I'd love to get to know you guys a little bit and hear some of your story. Uh, give us a quick sketch of where you are. I believe you're on your home assignment, uh, but you've been serving long-term in Taiwan. Tell us a little bit about where you are. Yeah, so we are in uh, College Station, Texas right now on a one-year home assignment. And we are, it's a combination of, um, you know, fundraising and letting our kids uh enjoy being back in the in the states and have an english uh, education and then um, we're hoping lord willing to go back in june well, that's great so how long have you all been serving in taiwan so we've been serving there as a couple about 13 years i think that's great well you came to the end of the term of your most recent term uh, tell us a little bit about your church and what kind of milestones you hit when you came to the end of your term so this is a church that we had been planting for about eight years, and we started it from scratch. So um, we didn't know anyone in the area, and we had to start by just meeting people on the street, um, telling them about God. And most people came from a background where they didn't know anything about Jesus. So um, in the end, we ended up having a church of around 30 people regularly, um, and our goal in the end was to pass it off to a local leader, which we did. That is great. Tell us a little bit about this local leader. This is Jordan, right? Yes. So Jordan and Bella, um, they had just graduated from seminary, and they come from working class backgrounds themselves. So they're very similar demographically to the people that were in our church. They lack some training, um, and I think they had a lot of personal issues that they needed to work on. And so we did a lot of mentoring with them for a year or two um, and really invested in them so that they could be strong leaders of the church. That is great. That's a, a wonderful story. Uh, for those of us living in the United States, there's so many churches in our cities and, and a lot of Christian heritage and background in our cities. Uh, tell us a little bit about the community that you've worked in and what kind of background most people in your, in your city and your community come from. So most people are considered um, working class, which doesn't mean that they have low incomes, although a lot of times they do. Um, it definitely means that they are not as educated. Um, most people... Uh, do not have a college education, and they come from very traditional ways of thinking. So for generations, their families might have been ancestor worshipers and idol worshipers. Um, very very few are familiar with the idea of God, um, um, one God. And so it was a big challenge to reach out to these people who had never heard the gospel before and starting from scratch, um, really trying to share with them. Now, in the past, you've written about an idol parade that you've seen. You know, I don't know that in a technical sense I've ever seen one here in Memphis. So what is an idol parade and what does that even mean? Well, usually uh, they take the uh, gods out of the temple and then parade them around, uh, you know, from temple to temple uh, is this idea. And so as they do that, they have, uh, you know, sometimes 100, 200, 300 people 
in this parade, and then they'll even carry their household gods, and people will dress up as the gods, and it becomes a big kind of festive affair for the the town. And they shoot off fireworks and firecrackers, and uh, they'll even stop at the household uh, idols and and pay tribute. So pretty much everybody in the community is kind of involved. And when they pass your house, you're supposed to come out and worship on the street, and you'll see people. Uh, bending down. So th- these parades kind of go on throughout uh, the different temples around the town. And I'd also like to add that when we say idols, we're referring to literal wooden idols, often very similar to the ones that we hear about in the Old Testament. We see them actually physically manifesting in Taiwan. And people um, really believe in them. They believe that they carry spiritual power. Um, they believe that they need to um, to worship these idols in order to have blessing in their life. Yes, I'd love to hear you kind of help us think about that. So um, I've, when I hear household idols as a pastor, I think about the Old Testament, right? I mean, I, I, I know that phrase, right? But we're just not familiar with that. So why don't you take us inside the mind of somebody from your community? So when, they, when they're carrying these idols, when they're getting their household idols, or when they're bowing down before the idol that the that has been carried out of the temple, what's in their mind and what's in their heart? And in what way are they worshiping and what way are they just having a festival? How would you describe that to us? I think it's a little bit of all of the above. Um, If you can imagine uh, in Memphis, we have so many churches here. Uh, But in Taiwan, for every place you would see a church in Memphis, you'd see a temple. Hmm. And so it's part of their daily lifestyle. Uh, they see them every day. Uh, it's u- usually they go worship regularly. Whether some for some people it might be um, once a couple times a year on special holidays. For other people it could be monthly or even daily. So um, and people set up these these shelves on their um, in their houses that actually have particular idols that they have an affinity for, and so they might feel for some reason more personally related to some of these gods. Um, maybe they've done them favors in the past when they've come and prayed to them, and so um, they'll uh, they'll reg- you know daily, several times a day, often uh, stand in front of these idols and worship them with, with incense. So um, there are, are very there are many facets to uh, idol worship. I mean, there's a cultural sense, there is a spiritual sense, there is a passing of tradition. Um, but in all these ways, Taiwanese people are just very deeply entangled in in this worship, and and that doesn't even consider ancestor worship, which almost everyone does also. And with ancestor worship, if um, if you don't worship pe- your ancestors uh, regularly, then um, then the idea is that they would be suffering in hell. So you're not completing your filial duty if you're not um, worshiping them. So what you're saying is, if if I come from a traditional family and then begin to follow Jesus and not worship as some form of deity or some connection to the divine, my ancestors, my family will think I'm torturing them, that I'm, I'm condemning them to some sort of hellish ex- existence? Correct. And you're a bad son. Hmm. Yeah, th- yeah, so that, that's what, why there's so much persecution for people when they come to Christ and when they realize they have to stop worshiping their ancestors is because to their family, they're just being their terrible sons and daughters. Hmm. Um, and it also there's, it instills fear in them that when they pass away, my son and daughter is, aren't, aren't, isn't going to worship me either. So what's going to happen to me? Hmm. 
we realized early when we were sharing the gospel, uh, you know, you're dealing with these people who have thought like this for generations, and it's hard enough to have to share the gospel with one person like this, but then when the conversion process not only involves them making the decision, but them talking with their mom and dad and their, their sister and so-and-so who's living with them, then it just becomes this huge collective decision and everybody's against it. You realize how, how difficult and how slow it is to uh, get people to come to Christ. Hmm. Yeah, I was thinking about that. So in the United States, in the last generation, and I'm excited about this, uh, church planting has really become a buzzword. Uh, a lot of churches, a number of organizations are really excited and really promote church planting. But I think that comes from a Western mindset where we have this uh, assumption that you can gather a team of people who are excited about church planting, that uh, in the community you'll find people who are excited about church planting. Now, of course, there's people who don't know the Lord, and that's who we're focusing on in church planting. Um, but how would you describe the similarity or difference between church planting that you've been involved in and what you think goes into church planting, what you presume goes into it uh, in the United States? I think it's pretty hard for people to understand, uh, especially for the the churches that do exist in uh, the nearby city that where we worked. The nearby city had about one percent Christian, and our area was about zero point three percent Christian. But uh, the the pastors have a real hard time understanding why would you want to you know plant a new church. Um, so I would say just yeah. Well. I would say they they have trouble understanding why because they see it as completely futile. Hmm. And I think that um, like all the different things that you just described, we don't have those when we go to us from scratch church plant in Taiwan. We don't have a team. Uh, when we started our church plant eight years ago, it was just me and Thomas. And gradually we did have other missionaries join us and other locals join us because we always want to have partnership. Um, but, you know, from the beginning, you don't necessarily have that. And that creates a really tense dynamic, just having all the pressure of every logistical thing on your, you and your spouse. Um, also, because, you know, people are just already pretty, can be very hostile to the gospel, you're not going to just see con throngs of converts coming in and wanting to join a church. Um, it's going to be a very long process. And so that's what we were fortunately prepared for um, when we went in. We knew that we would it would take us years and we were ready to invest that time um, because it's what, what was needed. Well, I want to get to what you're going to do next when you go back in the summer. But uh, let me ask another question. I recall reading a book that you wrote, uh, Dead Women Walking, mm -hmm. and then I believe you had a follow-up, maybe it was a shorter version. But tell us a, a little bit about that book and what kind of stories you tell in that book. Yeah, so um, when I wrote that book, I was in the um, capital city of Taipei, and it was about a church plant and three women um, who came from these idol-worshipping backgrounds and how they came from um, broken families, broken relationships, um, and idol worship to come to know the Lord through a missionary. And so it was kind of a interwoven um, set of three stories and um, how th these um, non-Christian women eventually became mature believers who led a church that is now known as the Shop Workers Church. It's very, mm. it's thriving um, in Taipei. Did you also write a follow-up to that, or was, it, was there a... Con oh, then they, they condensed the version, the uh, book. So what's the title of the second book? 
It's called Unbound. 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 Thank you. Yes. yes. So actually, the first、um, book is out of print now, so you have to buy the、um, Unbound on Amazon. Unless you come to the mission pastor's office, in which case I might loan you、uh, under signature <laughs>、uh, the the original.、Uh, it's, it's very moving. Well, you're on home assignment.、Uh, you're scheduled to go back、uh, in the summer,、uh, and you want to start over in a new place. What's up with that? <laughs> you finally got some success. You got a church established, and you want to go back to another neighborhood that's even harder than your first one, and do this all over again. Wh- what do you want to do, and what do you think it might be like? Yeah, so we did finish up this past church plan, and we passed it off to、uh, a local pastor and his wife. So、uh, it didn't really make sense for us to go back. Our, our purpose was always to、uh, start something that could be passed off to indigenous leaders.、Um, uh, so we decided to go to the most unreached place we could find on the map that was、uh, somewhat drivable distance to the missionary school, and so we chose a place called、uh, Jai County. Um, Shingang, Shingang, and I think it's about 0.3 percent Christian, and the entire town is centered around a big temple.、Uh, in fact, the entire economy is centered around the temple, and so a lot of people come from out of town to、um, to go worship there and to even bring their household gods to kind of recharge them like batteries at this powerful temple. They say. So it's going to be a, a challenging ministry, and we've got about three years there that we can spend in that area. So not sure how much、uh, will happen in the next three years, but we'll just kind of walk by faith and pray and share the gospel and see what happens. But we do have a、uh, partnering pastor who's willing to help help us. He's Taiwanese, and so we're hoping that can、um, move things a- along. So it's been a while since I took math, but let me be sure I got my math right. So you said zero point three or point zero three. Uh, it's under a half percent, I would say. Okay, so that means out of a thousand people, you'll expect to maybe find three Christians. Yeah, and of those, maybe one or two are, are not even really Christian. They're just、uh, you know Mormon or something like that. This is how the government does the statistics. So. It's hard to say. Or put in another way, we only are aware of one church that is in this township, and the church we heard only has twenty something people in it. So that would be the extent of the Christians in the area. Well, how? Wow. It's it's a much more challenging place than we even were before.、Um, one reason is because the population is、um, a little older. Okay.、Um, and then, second of all, because of this、uh, vibrant economy centered around the temple that Thomas mentioned, it seems like somewhere I read a story where people began to follow Jesus, and the silversmith got upset because the people weren't buying as many idols. I, I think I feel like I've read that one too <laughs> in the New Testament. <laughs> so, what would happen to somebody who became a follower of Jesus in that community? How do you think it might affect their relationship to other people in the community,、uh, and maybe to their family? I can imagine that it would be similar to what we've seen for a lot of our new Christians.、Um, that there would be a lot of opposition. Yeah, I mean, if I, I was thinking of all these、uh, these guys along the the Temple Road that sell,、uh, you know, they're very beautiful woodcrafted items and various things. I would I would assume they would need to use their art skills in another manner if they were to become a Christian.、Uh, so,、um, so yeah, that's what we have in front of us. It's going to be you know, tough. <laughs> Well, please know in that regard, we'll be praying for you guys because that is a, a huge endeavor, and、uh, I think that's the point of the Great Commission, right? That we want to、uh, go to those places because、uh, others aren't going. So we、uh, 
deeply value what you guys are about. Let me change gears for a little bit. Uh, my family uh, went back and forth between our country of service when we were missionaries in the United States. Uh, you guys are back with your two kids uh, in College Station. What's what's it been like to go back and forth between cultures? What have been some exciting things? Has anything, anything been kind of weird now that you've been out of the United States for so long? We miss Mexican food, so it's been very nice to have Mexican food. You cannot get good Mexican food in Taiwan. So. <laughs> this is really the first time that our kids are of age to understand and absorb parts of American culture. Um, and for my son, he did not even have any English-speaking friends in Taiwan. Hmm. So to be able to have in, you know, good English-speaking friends here has been a thrill for him. Uh, my daughter has had a harder time because she ha all, she misses Taiwan dearly and all of her friends are there. Um, so it's kind of bittersweet for both of them. And so how long is your, is, is your time in the United States? We have about six months left. Okay. But we've done six months so far. Got it. Thomas, I understand you've been involved in uh, additional studies, theological studies. What are you studying? What's been interesting uh, going back to school? Yeah, so I, I did my MDiv at, uh, at RTS Orlando and appreciated that. Uh, as I reflected on it, though, I realized that most of those three years of learning was before I was actually in ministry. Uh, and so I I'm, I'm look back on the time and I'm very thankful. But now that we've been missionaries for a good 13 years or so, I felt like it might be good to go back and do a, a little more advanced, um, detailed theological study, uh, this time with you know some ministry background and uh, a new lens in which I can see the things I'm studying. So I've actually really enjoyed it. Um, so, yeah. And were you completed during your home assignment, or is it something No, you no, I mean, you, you, the fastest you can do it is three years, but I'm hoping to get as much done as I can during this home assignment, because we'll be a bit busy when we get back. So. <laughs> yeah, sounds like it. And Jennifer, you've been uh, uh, speaking at some different agencies and some different conferences. Tell us something about what you've been doing while you're on home assignment, apart from uh, things you do at home. I've been helping out with the church partnership um, development team uh, with OMF, our, sending, our organization. And so um, I've been doing uh, talks at different churches about missionary care. And uh, I went to San Francisco a couple months ago to give a talk to a Chinese church about how they can better care for missionaries and send off missionaries. One of your sending churches is your home church. Uh, what are ways we could better care for you and other people in the kind of work that you're doing? What are some, what are kind of your top tips that you <laughs> give a... It was a two-hour talk in Mandarin, so nah. it's hard to summarize into a we short got a few Mandarin speakers, but let's try English for, yeah, yeah. for the podcast. Oh, gosh. I have to think about that for a second, because that really, it really is quite, quite a lot. Um, I think that... Um, one thing that was sort of the core of the talk was the fact that nowadays we've really seen a trend where missionaries do not tend to stay long on the field. And there's a very high rate of what we call attrition or the loss of missionaries. And so a lot of things can be done to help missionaries um, be prepared to stay longer on the field and to keep them from facing reasons that would cause them to leave prematurely. Um, and some of those is for them to have you know better training beforehand for their sending church to make sure that they are properly screened and prepared when they go. Um, a lot of people just want to get on the field as quickly as they can. Once they have a call, I know they want to like go. That. <laughs> Unfortunately, I mean, it really does. The time you put in before you go really um, has an impact on how long you can stay after. And uh, there's other things like um, 
people don't know how to deal with burnout. So making sure that uh, you teach people how to do self-care and that you're caring for them um, can constantly while they're on the field too and, and checking in with them and really letting them to be honest about the struggles that they have and not just give you know the a really um, positive prayer letter response everything is great God is blessing it all but to be able to be vulnerable about the difficulties that they're facing um, is a good thing and to just yeah keep in touch with the missionaries via email that's so easy nowadays um, and really asking hard questions those are some things that could be that is could there really any help. literature that you particularly like or would recommend so think about our church members there's quite a few who are really excited about what you and other partners are doing but aren't quite sure the best way to care for to pray for to think about how to support you guys beyond uh, our daily prayers and our, and our financial support is there any books or anything that you would recommend or um well i um recently read a book it's uh, a bit a little technical, um, but for people who are really serious about missions, they might find it interesting. It's called Well Sent by Steve Barron, I think is how you pronounce his last name. B-E-I, I'm sorry, B-E-I-R-N. And um, that gives, talks about all the topics I just mentioned, as well as, you know, how ascending church can sort of create a missions program that's going to have people not just go for the short term, but for the long term. Great. We'll be sure and get that in our bookmark. <laughs> Well, thanks so much for your time today. What are the, the top ways we could be praying for you specifically? So when you think about your remaining several months before you return to Taiwan, when you think about your return, what are the top ways we can be praying for you guys? Probably the biggest one at the moment is we've had some challenges getting our visa renewed. Um, I mean, everybody's got issues uh, getting back to their countries with COVID, uh, but um, th this is our biggest one. We have gotten some paperwork approved and now we need to send it off to a friend in Taiwan who will try to renew the visas on our behalf. Um, so that's probably our big prayer request in the next four to six weeks. Also, we ask for prayer um, for our housing because um, the place we're going to is a very old neighborhood. So there aren't a lot of places that are up for rent. Um, so we just really pray that the Lord will allow us to live in the area we desire to serve in and not have to commute from um, a, a more um, populated area. Well, thanks so much for being with us today. We look forward to hearing more during our uh, conference coming up at the end of February. We look forward to hearing from both of you. So thanks a lot for being with us. Thank All you. right, thank you. I have one more thing to add. Great. Um, so when Thomas was talking about the um, amount of time that we have left, so we have three years uh, that we're going to be spending there before we have to move to another location. Now, because we ha we know that church planning takes a long time, um, we're going to be investing a lot in um, trying to mobilize other church planters. So we're actually partnering with a couple from the Netherlands, and um, they're earlier on in their missionary career. So we would like to mentor them and kind of equip them to eventually lead a new team to continue the work in Xingang. So we're always kind of looking forward, uh, not to just what we're doing, doing currently, but how can we sustain this ministry longer term? And that often involves in, um, investing in and passing things off to others. So you're saying that things that you've learned, you're going to entrust to faithful people so they can teach others as well? Is that what I'm hearing that you say? That's what you're hearing. <laughs> well, great. <laughs>